Get out the insurance cards, get out the co-pays. The office is open, my friends, as this video is brought to you by DrRoto.com. All right, all right, all right. Hello and welcome into the week six edition of the Pros with Joe's podcast. I'm your host, John Dansby, and we're just over the moon to have you all here as we go through some of the bigger NFL news, charity league news, and welcome in some very special guests towards the end of the program. With me, as always, is my bay from the month of May, co-founder of the league, the pro to my Joe, Mr. Eric Romoff. Eric, what's new and what do we have on tap for this week's show? Man, we uh, we've got a lot of stuff queued up for tonight. Um, the the week that was week six across the NFL was really everything that you could ask for in terms of uh, professional NFL action. Right? We had shootouts, we had comebacks, we had uh, three games going to overtime. Uh, I mean, ultimately really everything that we would hope for and more is is what week six gave us and like always uh, another week in the books and another rash of injuries for us to navigate so what's new uh, definitely plenty of things to to dissect as we look uh look forward on the nfl calendar and the topic du jour across fantasy football twitter is that by mageddon is here not only do we have to navigate all these injuries, but almost all of the top performers are currently out on bye weeks. Uh, shout out to our guy, Ryan McDonald of Scott Fishbowl fame. He was nice enough to compile for us the fact that QB 1, 7, 9, and 10 running backs 2, 3, 4, 8, 9, 19, 21, 23, a whole slew of wide receivers, four more starting tight ends are all on the shelf this week due to bye weeks. And speaking of Scott Fishbowl, I'm happy and excited to introduce our newest segment, JB Barry's Got Receipts. We're going to take a look <laughs> back at the deepest pulls and the best calls of the week that was for Mr. Barry. And this week, it was actually a call that he made in Scott Fishbowl itself. Our guy decide, <clears throat> decided to buck conventional wisdom and bench Mike Williams in favor of Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick scoring wow. a little bit better than 13 points with Williams coming in just under five. So shout out to our guy, JB Barry. You can follow him and find all of his work on the Twitter machine at Fantasy Coach JB. Well, speaking of members of the league and the league in general, uh, had some 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 news this week uh, I, th I think the separation is, is starting to show in some divisions uh, but there are others that are a little tighter um, for example Nacho's Libres home of Jim Coventry's 6-0 juggernaut of a team uh, okay. they have three teams sitting at one and five uh, an interesting tidbit there is that all three of those teams wins are inside the division so despite their records it's far too early to rule them out right now uh, but there were some absolute blowouts in the week in the league this week. And, uh, you know, it could be a preview to, to what you mentioned about this being by McGettin. Uh, we may see more of that this week, but, uh, as far as the blowouts go, uh, team Harmon and team Engel each blew their opponents out by over 90 points. 
uh, which is just insane to me. But we'll only mention the winners there. But uh, hopefully the teams on the the short end of the stick there were or are going to be better prepared this week. Um, Eric, what are you looking at from last week, and and what are the, some of some of the matchups that stuck out to you this week? Yeah, so we we got to start right off the top with. Uh, the aforementioned J.B. Barry. It looked like J.B. himself was in the driver's seat and getting ready to take home a pretty substantial victory against none other than Stefania Bell. And then Derrick Henry did Derrick Henry things on Monday Night Football. And yes. she came roaring back to uh, post a 151-point victory to Mr. Barry's 137 points. So... Um, that one obviously has to sting, but um, you know, kudos to JB hung in there with uh, one of the tougher teams in in the league, and was uh, was just on the wrong side of another Derrick Henry type of performance. Yeah, you can't you can't stop that guy uh, or or count him out. Uh, and and being a, a Monday night show that is just always tough on the other being facing Derrick Henry on a Monday night because. You're just kind of hoping for a, a subpar performance. And then, like you said, Derrick Henry did Derrick Henry things. Uh, you know, we spoke a little bit last week about the the podcast appearance bump. How did our guests, 8Ball and MG, do last week? I'm, I'm here to bear the bad news that the podcast bump streak has officially come to an end at five <sighs> weeks. Unfortunately, Rough. eight ball and MG just couldn't quite get enough done in their week six tilt against team in Pemba. And, you know, credit to them. Um, they, they mentioned this by name when we were reviewing their team last week. They said that they have a lot of guys that are on IR and that yep. actually missed last week with, uh, with their own mini version of the bipocalypse. So MG fielded the best uh, team that he could. His manager efficiency rating was 100%. So he got the absolute most out of his available players, but it just wasn't quite enough. Um, but, you know, brighter days are certainly ahead for, uh, for Marcus Grant as he now has a good majority of his team with the buy already in their rearview mirror. Yeah, and I, like, honestly, I don't think that they're going to be the last ones that experience you know, having holes due to injuries because it seems like every week we're talking about more and more injuries. And uh, I think you're going to start seeing players that are, you know, getting towards the end of the season and the injuries are, are a little more serious. So they just bench them for the rest of the season. So, you know, we'll see how these managers do to, to accommodate these, these losses, but uh, you know, it's always a crapshoot week to week. Uh what about close matchups? We have any any squeakers this week? Yeah, the the closest call of the week uh, featured at least one team that um, has been one of our esteemed guests. Uh, that would be Dave Kluge and Sam Wagman going up against Team Coop. They managed to eke out a victory, one forty three to one thirty eight. So a little bit less than a five point win. Um, and and this one. Was, was a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, ultimately, Team Coop came up, uh, again, about five points short, but they did so without fielding a defense last week. <laughs> and while that might seem like just an oversight, if you actually scroll through 
uh, Team Coop's bench, there are a number of players that he certainly wouldn't want to cut in order to roster another defense. So as we uh, as we we roll the calendar forward here a couple of weeks, um, we'll uh, we'll see if we can get Coop on and have him defend his uh, his stance to just take the donut at the defensive position and try to stack up points elsewhere in his roster. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting as, as we bring in more guests every week to hear, you know, differing strategies and things like that. Um, it, I don't hate not having a starting defense. Uh, but when you lose by five, that just really, really makes that whole glaring. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. That's one week. But let's talk about... You know, uh, I would I would be lying if I said that I haven't done something like this myself. Um, but I, I never fully commit to it. So usually what I'll do is if I don't have a player that I want or I feel comfortable cutting uh, to acquire someone else, I'll at least keep an eye on some players that I can squeak in in the primetime game on Sunday night or in the Monday night game so that if I find myself down by five points, I can at least then rip the Band-Aid off and drop someone that maybe I didn't want to, but I can now secure a victory with. So um, I've certainly I've certainly danced that line before, <laughs> um, but looks like uh, looks like Coop was was all in when he made that decision heading into the week. Yeah, I just I, I can't leave holes on my roster. Uh, it's just a, a lack of a lack of trust in my other in my other guys. But uh, so that's the that's the the squeaker of the week. Who I, I mentioned some guys that uh, that went over ninety uh, in blowouts. Who was the biggest blowout this week? Yeah, for forget ninety. Let's let's try a hundred. Uh, that was uh, our guy Scott Engel put up a hundred ninety five points to. Our defending champion Dave Richards, ninety-seven. Um, so almost a, a triple-digit victory in in week six. And really, you know, looking at looking at his roster, it's kind of a story of everything going right. He certainly had some big, you know, above projection performances. Jonathan Taylor gave him twenty-nine points. Cooper Cup is back on that breakfast gang click with Matt Stafford. He gave him a 34 burger, but everyone else on his roster really just kind of came in uh, marginally or incrementally above their projected point total. So everyone did their job for Team Angle, and he had a few guys go above and beyond, and that that left him with the highest point output in the entire league. Yeah, when I when I saw this score, I I thought surely surely Team Richard just left a hole in his his. Uh, his lineup or, you know, had some guys on buys or, or something. Uh, but no, he just had a full team of underperformers for the most part. Uh, you know, he got, got a couple of, uh, big productions from, from a running back and wide receiver. But other than that, everybody just seemed to tank at the same time, which really wouldn't have mattered. Uh, I think team Ingle had the highest score for the league that, uh, last week. So, uh, really, there wasn't anything that he was going to be able to do to to combat that. But uh, yeah, you talk about Yen and Yang; those uh, those guys saw it this week. <clears throat> yeah, uh, we've we've talked about it before, right? Like 
you're going to have those weeks where you just bump up against the highest scoring team in the league. And so if that just coincides or happens to coincide with the week where you also have one of your worst scoring performances, I mean, all, all the better, right? You, you sort of, you did, you did the two painful things in, in one week. So yeah, I would almost rather be, uh, be on the wrong side of a laugher than, you know, put up the second most points in the league and, and come up just a little short in week six. <laughs> right. Well, you know, going back to, to team Engle and, and Scott Engle, uh, I can't say that everything came up roses for him this week. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how he fared in the waiver claims this week? Man. So we, uh, we, we, we publish and post the, Pros with Joe's a waiver report every week at Pros with Joe's on Twitter. And one of the categories we talk about is our closest calls. And this is the definition of the closest possible call. <laughs> Scott Engel and our very own Dr. Roto bid the exact same $54 on soon-to-be Cleveland starter Dearness Johnson. But Doc edged him out on the tiebreaker largely based on the record uh, that they each carry because of that resounding performance in week six. Scott Angle was the secondary choice on that tiebreaker and ultimately came up short on his bid to acquire the services of Dearness Johnson. Uh, that just kind of makes your, your heart sink when you wake up on, on Wednesday morning and see that. But, uh, you know, we love to see it as, as the... The outsiders looking in, but uh, that, yeah, that's that's just that's bad luck. <laughs> but I mean, the the good side is is he scored 195 points last week, so uh, you know, I think he's got a a decent uh, outfit without having uh, the Ernest Johnson. What yeah, were the, to, what was to, go to, ahead, to say to say the least, right? Like Dearness Johnson is looking like maybe a one week starter. Um, so, you know, based on the strength of his performance last week and, and overall, right. Um, you know, this, this isn't a flash in the pan. Scott Engel is, uh, a four and two team in this highly competitive league. So, um, you know, he, he misses out on a player in this one week, but I don't think, uh, this acquisition in particular kind of changes the trajectory for either team over the course of the season, which is why transitioning to our big spenders, um, I, I think we saw a little bit of an overspend, um, specifically <laughs> in the wings division. Jeff Erickson went out and dropped $212 on Dearness Johnson, the same Dearness Johnson that went for a quarter of that price um, there in the nachos division. So um, big, big money going out to this one week flyer in Dearness Johnson. In my mind, it's largely a measure of the the buy mageddon that we continue to talk about um i mean if you got a hole in your roster you you need to find a way to fill it and if that's your only option like jeff went out and and got his guy uh kind of a along that same vein do you do you kind of see it like you know we're we're past week six at this point and you know a lot of these these teams still have a lot of their fab on hand is this kind of like, could you see it kind of like, uh, you know, I've got the money, let's just spend it kind of thing. Is that, is that starting to happen or is it a little too early for the, for that kind of like, sh- just 
dropping the big money on on uh, like what you said a a, a one week starter. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite to the point where um, you know this money is really burning a hole in anyone's pocket per se. Yeah, um, but I I do think that um, you know given the the caliber of player in this league, the people that have a substantial uh, percentage of their budget remaining made a conscious decision that they wanted to save their their money, and yeah. therefore when they find themselves in a position to need to acquire someone you know, somewhat desperately or badly they now have the ammunition to do that they, and they're not they got they're it. not yeah. afraid to uh you know to to fire off those couple of extra rounds so i i think that's more to do with uh the line that that jeff took on on adding uh Dearness johnson than you know just having uh discretionary income to throw around yeah yeah, and I, I think that makes sense. Uh, it is still a little early, and we're doing 17 weeks this year, so it's you got to be a little bit more miserly, I guess. And uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff wasn't, but you know, speaking of, of being miserly, who got the steal this week? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things came to mind. Um, we we saw Team Feinberg, one of our our tough luck. Uh, uh, near misses last week uh, <laughs> entered the winning bid, but ultimately didn't have the roster space available to acquire the player he's looking for this week. He was able to add the services of Jarrett Patterson, highly coveted handcuff to Antonio Gibson, who is dealing with a shin injury. He did so for the low, low price of 50 bucks. So 5% mm. of budget um, for a guy that presumably steps into at least the early down role in a Washington offense that very much so relies on the run game. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all's well that ends well. Jeff Feinberg was able to make up for the missteps of weeks past and add in a very important piece uh, to the overall texture of his roster. But that is burying the lead to an extent because the steal of the week, Jamie Calandro goes out and adds several players for a uh, fairly minimal expenditure, but the one that jumps off the page is Ricky Seals Jones. He added RSJ for fifteen dollars. This is a this is a tight end, <laughs> a, a position that is um, as scarce as it gets in in today's NFL. Who yeah. over the last three weeks has played all but two snaps, ninety three, ninety nine percent, and one hundred percent snap share over his last three games. And Jamie was able to to acquire his services for. Uh, one and a half percent of budget. So um, I would have to imagine of all of our 42 managers and co-managers this year, he had probably felt the best reading that waiver report early on, on Wednesday morning. Wow. And you know, that's uh total upside for $15. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a slot and you know, you're grabbing that for, for $15, uh, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of downside to that. Um, yeah, I, that that is the steal of the week for sure. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, Jamie's got to be feeling great about um, that depth piece that that he added on to to his roster there through through the waiver process. 
Yeah, so that uh, that really about wraps up the the week that was across the the charity league. So we can kind of shift gears a little bit, look into uh, the beginning of of week seven, um, and it it starts with with Thursday night. Yeah, uh, it seems like uh, every Thursday or every every show we've got uh, something about Thursday night football. Uh, we actually had a a good run of two weeks of of decent football. Uh, but this week we're kind of sliding back into the uh, traditional Thursday Thursday night game. Uh, looks to be just an absolute mess of a game with the Broncos facing off against the Browns. Uh, any storylines you're you're watching or, or matchups you like in this in this game, Eric? Yeah, what what an absolute disaster. <laughs> um, I mean, the there, there's plenty there's there's plenty of intrigue to be had around the the overall uh, promise of the Brown season, at least as of a few weeks ago. The Broncos themselves, you know, were kind of a surprise three and O team uh, not that long ago. But if you yep. look specifically at this game, I mean, to to call this Browns team a mash unit is to to put it lightly. Um, Baker Mayfield has been ruled out with an AC joint injury. Uh, Nick Chubb is ruled out for his second straight week. Yep. Kareem Hunt injured himself in the Arizona game last week, and he has now been placed on IR. Uh, OBJ is dealing with a slew of injuries, and it is a uh, as true of a game-time decision as, as it sounds like there can be. Um, looks like we're not going to have Jerry Judy or uh, uh, Jarvis Landry back from IR yet. Teddy Bridgewater is questionable. Um, I mean, the the list really goes on and on. And ultimately, it looks like we're going to have a ton of second stringers out there in terms of the skill position players for both teams tomorrow night. Yeah, it just it it, it seems like you know it, it, typical heartbreak for Cleveland fans. Uh, you know they they have such high hopes throughout the year, and you know in their defense you know you listed off this litany of injuries that they have they still have players that are filling in for all of these injuries so the depth is there it just blows my mind that they're just they seem to be dropping like flies in in cleveland um and you know the broncos I, like you said i don't think anybody anticipated them having the start that they did so that was just a, a good start to the season and you know they're headed right back to to mediocrity as as expected so i mean they're they i don't think the hopes were that high but yeah you've got these two teams going thursday night and it's kind of like another meh game um but you know in, in, uh, staying with the game like how how do you typically approach a showdown slate and and do games with so many injuries like how does that change your strategy uh as as you go forward in week seven yeah, in in these situations, uh, specifically on these these island or these slow down, these showdown slates, I, I think it really puts an even greater emphasis on the known commodities out there. Right, we're going to see yep. a lot of second stringers, third stringers, guys called up from the practice squad are going to see significant reps in in game action tomorrow night. Um, yep. So those plays are very much so on the board, but the first and foremost priority in your build 
have to be the guys that are known quantities. So if Teddy Bridgewater can give it a go, then obviously I want to I want to make him a center point to my builds. Uh, his receivers in Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, um, his tight end in Noah Fant, the running backs there in uh, in in Denver are all guys that have fairly well established roles, and we can have a much tighter kind of range of outcomes in terms of their projected points. So I want to build around a lot of those guys, and then peppering in these uh, relief players, these backups that are now thrust into starting roles. Um, because their prices are so bottom barrel, you can basically play whoever you want, right? Um, you can you can get a guy in your captain spot, the starting quarterback for <laughs> um, uh, for the Broncos if Bridgewater can't go, is nine thousand dollars as your captain, right? So there there's a lot of flexibility that these backup players and their low salaries give you. And I always err on the side of having as many of the known quantity starters in my build as possible. Right. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. You know, speaking of filling holes, uh, we've had kind of a, a busy day on the rumor mill. Uh, Deshaun Watson uh, is, and at least initially this afternoon was rumored to be in talks with with Miami for uh, being traded from Houston to Miami. Um, speculation was as soon as this week they they'd have a trade done. Uh, about two and a half hours later, uh, we we had some some kind of contradictory ideas. Um, you know, the, they're talking about trading uh, to a somewhere else, uh, maybe a three-team trade. Do you buy into any of this? Like, what would that look like for these two quarterbacks? You know, basically trading homes and, and trading offenses. Does that does that impact their fantasy value at all? Or like, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy afternoon on the uh, on the rumor mill front in uh, in in NFL land, right? Uh, it, was, it was sort of mid afternoon when the initial rumbling started to emerge that uh, a trade looks to be imminent sending Deshaun Watson to Miami. Um, there was further reporting uh, that that indicated a third team could be in the mix, or at least the Miami and Houston deal could be contingent upon a, a secondary deal that Miami was pursuing. And then out of nowhere beat reporting in Miami said it's all a lie. Um, so <laughs> I'm not lying. He now, is. It's it's still kind of anybody's guess. Um, you know, speaking from from personal experience, uh, one of the reporters in the Houston area, Aaron Wilson, is a, is on staff with us here at drroto.com. Um, so I do tend to trust his judgment a bit more, just being able to work alongside him and get to know him uh, here in this season. But ultimately, if this were to go down, a Welcome back to the fantasy radar, Deshaun Watson, right? Houston has made it abundantly clear that no matter what, they are not playing him. He is done with his career as a Houston Texan. So if he were to make his way to Miami, now all of a sudden he could at least potentially play as opposed to having no shot to play. Um, there's obviously a number of uh, problematic 
ongoing issues with regard to Deshaun Watson. So maybe a Allegedly. trade would. Yeah, certainly. Um, we are we are not lawyers here, um, but maybe maybe a trade would kind of uh, stoke things in the NFL front office to where they you know decide to carry forward with putting him on the exempt list or take further action. Um, but you know, at least uh, in the immediate aftermath, it does seem like uh, a a trip out of Houston is certainly the shortest path to any sort of meaningful playing time for Deshaun Watson. Honestly, for me, the the conversation that comes up that is a bit more interesting is the idea of this second trade for Miami, right? Um, yeah. The speculation out there is that this second trade is them looking to offload sophomore quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. Um, and if that is in fact the case, it, it opens up a bit of a Pandora's box as to which team might be interested in him. So, John, I've, I've got a couple of names in mind. Looking over the landscape of the all 32 there in the NFL, any teams that uh, maybe jump off the page for you as a place that would have some interest in, uh, in Tua and, and would maybe look at him as, as an upgrade at the quarterback position? Uh, I, I don't... I don't know that this would be considered an upgrade for for Tua or the program, but you know Russell Wilson is is starting to get a little bit uh, injury prone up in Seattle, uh, and those two guys have a very very similar game that uh, I I think he would mesh and fit in just perfectly in in Seattle. Uh, you know. I, <laughs> Pittsburgh has a quarterback that uh, might be on his way out. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, to uh, working for Tomlin might be a great fit. Uh, you know, Tomlin is, is very offensive, like a, a kind of a, a player's kind of coach. Um, and I think that would be a, a good spot for him to land and kind of revitalize that that Pittsburgh offense a little bit. Uh, it, you know, we've talked about Big Ben a couple of times on this show. You know, I I don't see him being a a contender for the starting position. Uh, you know, after Week 17, um, so I think you know Pittsburgh or Seattle would be great spots for him. Yeah, I I, I love those calls. I don't I don't think Seattle is going to pay what Miami would want from a price tag standpoint for a guy that ultimately is a temporary fix, right? And, they yeah. are they are at least hopeful that Russell Wilson gets back this year. Um, if if they do even end up being rumored in this conversation, I know there was buzz out of Seattle that um, there was a conversation between Cam Newton uh, and their front office this year, so. I would take that as an indication that maybe this injury is going to linger a bit more than they would hope. And so if that's the case, certainly on the range of outcomes that Tua could end up there. But more than anything, I love this Pittsburgh call. That was absolutely the name and the team that jumped off the page for me. Yeah. Um, anyone who has uh, found themselves unfortunate enough to watch a Steelers game <laughs> has seen Ben Roethlisberger unable to get the ball to the line of scrimmage and falling over himself literally 
on what feels like every fifth play. And he is the picture of ineptitude at the quarterback position, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of hard to, to think about it in this light, but Tom Brady and the way that he's aged at the quarterback position has really skewed our perspective about how he's, that works. Yeah. He's otherworldly, though. <laughs> is aging the way that every quarterback in the history of the NFL has yeah. ever aged, right? Like, yeah, you get he looks old like Troy Aikman in nineteen ninety nine, really, really, really fast as yeah. a quarterback in the NFL, <laughs> and that's exactly what we're watching Ben Roethlisberger go through. So, I, I think that the need is there for Pittsburgh. They seem committed to him, and it's not like it's not like Tua is this, um, you know, uh, live armed down the field quarterback, right? Yeah. They're still bringing in Jacoby Brissett for Hail Mary plays in Miami, right? So, um, you know, in terms of arm strength, I mean, we can call it comparable, probably, uh, you know, an incremental up upgrade or improvement uh, from Tua relative to Big Ben. But if nothing else, you have a developmental piece that can at least do some stuff with his legs. He doesn't yeah. run like a statue back there, um, <laughs> which, you know, could add a bit more of a dynamic nature to the offense. And, even if Pittsburgh wants to stick with Ben Roethlisberger for the duration of the year, currently their backup plan is some combination of Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. And yeah. neither of those are long-term viable options. So being able to get a guy who as recently as 18, 24 months ago was considered to be the unanimous number one overall pick at the quarterback position for a significant discount. And to have him as the Aaron waiting behind Ben Roethlisberger, yeah, I'm sure the the Steelers front office would love that opportunity. So that's where I'm looking to. I, I love that call from you, Jonathan. Yeah, and you know, I I did get to watch the the Steelers this week, and you know, just watching Ben. Yeah, it was it was not a great football game. Uh, just uh, watching him fumble a pump fake that. I don't think I've ever seen him lose a ball like he lost that that fumble. Uh, it's really sad. I mean, you, because you know we've watched him his entire career, and he's been that you know that stable piece in the Pittsburgh offense. But you know he is just he's aging week to week, and it's it's becoming apparent. And I, I like I I think that's only natural that that Pittsburgh start reaching out about about quarterbacks. And you know if Tua is is on the market in any sense uh i think that's a a great option to to really open up that offensive scheme and you know actually start scoring points uh that's something pittsburgh needs you know but um yeah Un underreported in all of this too um we saw as recently as a couple years ago um the deal that brought uh mika fitzpatrick from miami to pittsburgh um, and while it might seem like it's a little uh, superficial analysis, it's not uncommon for front offices to kind of get into a rhythm or a routine with the other front offices that they like working with, right? So um, that relationship is there. So they they certainly they check a lot of boxes in terms of a likely trade partner if this were to go down. Yeah, and you know we'll see. We're we're all speculating here, and you know we've got warring factions of, of journalists saying, you know he's lying, he's lying. Uh, but 
you know, we'll see how it plays out. I, you know, honestly, I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to stay in Houston. I just don't know why anybody is, is willing to take a risk on him right now. Speaking, uh, just speaking back to the, the extracurricular issues that he's facing. Um, but let's move on. We've got some, some listener questions tonight, uh, that, that I'm pretty excited about cause I, I have one myself. Uh, but let's, let's get started. Um, first question, we've got, uh, a 0.5 PPR league. We've got a choice between AJ Brown and Devonte Booker in a flex spot. Who you go with? Yeah, so this one's pretty straightforward for me. Um, to to borrow a line from our guest last week, um, we've got AJ Brown facing off against the Kansas City Cheeks. Um, <laughs> that defense certainly did a bit better than they had uh, in uh, their matchup last week against the Washington Football Team, but. Um, ultimately, they're still one of the more favorable matchups for any opposing wide receiver to draw. And in a game where the Titans are going to need to score to keep pace with Patrick Mahomes and where we are yet again anticipating uh, Julio Jones to either be on a pitch count or outright unavailable for this game due to injury, A.J. Brown is is where I'm going with this one. Yeah, I, I like that too. Um, to say that that Kansas City is a little porous on their defense is is seems like an understatement. Uh, you know, they're all professional athletes, so I, I'm sure they'll at some point turn it around. But uh, they seem to be bleeding points pretty bad. So yeah, I definitely agree with that on on that matchup. Uh, next question, a defense question from Mary. Uh, she wants to know. Does she start the Broncos defense or the Patriots defense this week? Yeah, so really, uh, really solid question and and somewhat of a difficult choice here. Um, ultimately, where my mind goes is is leaning towards the Broncos. Um, you know, coming into the season, this was anticipated to be one of the more vaunted defensive units across the landscape of the NFL. And they certainly haven't lived up to that billing. But for me, this call is really more about the matchup itself, right? Um, we talked when we were mentioning uh, the slew of injuries that this Browns team is currently suffering through. And what that means for Denver is that on a short week, their still above average defense gets to face off against the likes of Case Keenum, and Dearness Johnson and Donovan Peoples Jones, right? So, yeah. um, you know, these players are backups for a reason. And specifically, when you have a backup quarterback who has about three days of preparation under his belt, um, you know, that leaves him very prone for turnovers. And that's always what I'm trying to capitalize on when I'm making a defensive decision. Yeah. Uh, I, I, same. Um, I, I just see, you know, the Pats against the, the Jets. Uh, I I always want to take who whatever defense is playing against the New York Jets. Uh, just seems to be uh, a pretty pretty easy bet there. Um, but it's you know, a it's a fair it, point, right? I, yeah. I, I, this is this is really an embarrassment of riches for you, Mary. So yeah, <laughs> I I don't think you can make a wrong choice of these two. 
um, but whenever it's really a it's, great question. I just <laughs> yeah. When whenever whenever it's close like this, I I always err on the side of which of these units I think is more likely to get a turnover, and I, I think that that's that's Denver in in week seven. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question, Chris. He needs two of Dearnest McKissick, Mike Gordon, and Mike Davis help <laughs> and would you start a third one of these over fant in a flex position right, so let, let me run this back uh he needs at least two of dearness johnson jd mckissick melvin gordon and mike davis That's and right. also he's considering starting noah fant over whomever in is left flex. yeah as as a flex spot um so this one for me is somewhat straightforward um if you are in that spot I, I i certainly am not mad at the idea of starting dearness johnson but if you have better options at least Do more it. known options i should say i'm not going out of my way to start him right we're still looking at uh what is likely to be the worst version of this cleveland bounds offense against a line that still is not at full strength so dearness is off the list for me um Typically, when we see these questions come in, if uh, if it is not a uh, a PPR league, then that is specified. So if that's the case, I'm actually going to look at JD McKissick and Melvin Gordon. Um, McKissick okay. is heavily involved as a pass catcher for the Washington Football Team, and with the question marks surrounding the availability of Antonio Gibson, he's at least in line to get more work. Right. Um, we talked about Patterson a little bit earlier in the show. He's still kind of the incumbent or the favorite for the early down work, but I would expect at least a proportion of that uh, of that touch volume that is vacated by Gibson to go over to McKissick. And we've seen what he's been able to do with fairly limited opportunity through through six weeks. So if he's now getting you know fifty percent more, eighty percent more touches than he was. I really like the upside that he stands to deliver. In terms of that flex spot, I'm absolutely going to to Noah Fant. Um, He is that known quantity. Mike Davis very much so could have a a decent enough day out there. But ultimately, with uh, the roles that have been carved out for both he and his running mate Cordell Patterson, you're basically hoping for a touchdown or bust from Mike Davis. Whereas Noah Fant has really settled into a pretty decent volume floor in this Denver passing game. So that's where I'm yeah. going in, in that third or that flex spot specifically. Well, that is perfect that you, you mentioned Cordero Patterson because uh, old Swaggy D wants to know your outlook on Cordero Patterson and whether he's going to stay hot for the rest of the season or fall out. Yeah, so I th- I think it it really depends on what your definition of the word is is. Um, <laughs> ultimately, Cordell Patterson is the waiver wire darling of the 2021 season. Um, yeah. If if the season were to end today, he is unequivocally the fantasy MVP. Right, this is someone that was undrafted, was yeah. largely available across all of the waiver wires for several weeks into the years into the year and he has done nothing but produce. He's got a 23 point, a 17 point, a 35 point and a 19 point performance under his belt. 
And the thing that I think is most promising for Cordell Patterson is that his opportunity and his time on the field is walking up week over week. So he is putting up these performances in spite of seeing 59% or 42% or 30% of snaps. So I do think that he will see more opportunity, but that the uh, Atlanta offense is probably going to try to strike a bit more of a balance. So still very much so fantasy viable week in and week out. But I don't think that he's going to maintain his position. I think he's currently like running back five and wide receiver seven because he's got dual eligibility. That's going to slide over the course of the season, but still very much so in that kind of back end RB1 uh, or front end of the RB2 conversation in my book. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I I think he's taking the opportunity and is running with it, so to speak. I, I, you know, I, like you said, I think the production may dip a little uh, as, as defenses start to, to, you know, adjust to him. And, and uh, I, I keep hoping that Atlanta will start, you know, throwing the ball more and, and spreading out that offense a little bit, you know, for selfish reasons, but uh, you know, we'll see, but yeah, I, I like Cordell Patterson for the rest of this year, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Moving to the next one, Jeremy is asking how high you would rank Pat Freermuth with his increased usage after the loss of Juju. Yeah, so last week was our first full game sample uh, of this Pittsburgh offense with Juju not on the field, right? And it... It certainly seems as though uh, we saw a pretty pretty considerable uptick uh, in in uh, with regard to Pat Fryermuth's utilization. Right, his uh, his snap percentage jumped all the way up to sixty percent. Saw seven targets, hauled in all seven of them, turned in a fifty eight point performance. So that near to the line of scrimmage kind of uh, short and intermediate passing game that Juju was very much so. Uh, championing as his role is available, and it looks like Firemuth has has stepped into that um, at least through the course of of one week. in In terms of you know where I I rank him uh, specifically, you know this week I've got him right outside of the top twelve. He's my tight end fourteen, just because that sample size is so slight. Right, we've got one game that we can really point to, um, but if he were to continue seeing you know six seven eight targets a week he could absolutely slide inside of the top end the the top 10 at the tight end position right this is a a a position in the fantasy game where all but about three guys are going to get you three receptions for 33 yards right they get a touchdown they're a top five player if they don't get a touchdown they're right around that kind of eight to twelve range so i think he's now in that conversation whereas prior to this point he was firmly in that kind of 15 and beyond range. So definitely an interesting player to keep an eye on as we, we roll the clock forward. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how they, how they recover uh, with a loss like Juju Smith Schuster. Uh, that's a, that's a huge loss, but you know, the, the thing that you see a lot with uh, these, these players that come up through injury is, you know, they're hungry. And so, you know, hopefully that that production 
uh, picks up. I don't think he's he's a juju. Obviously, he's he's listed behind him in the in the uh, in the depth chart. But uh, opportunities can provide some some great outcomes. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, last question here is is from from this guy right here, myself. Uh, got a little bit of a, a pickle in in one of my leagues uh who are you gonna start if you've got mike gasecki or zach ertz wearing that new cardinal red uniform man first off shout out zach ertz if anyone has not yeah. seen that tear filled press conference uh after the thursday night game last week where he found out that he had been traded um I mean, really, the page. Exactly, yeah. yeah in the, the, uh, the is it the Inquirer there in Philadelphia? Uh, very um, well, could be. I, I'm sure we'll hear from readers, right? <laughs> or listeners, yeah. Who are we? The the newest segment to the podcast: guess the Metropolitan uh, yeah. paper of record. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Zach Ertz very much so. Um, you know, uh, holds a place in his heart for his time in Philadelphia, and that came through in that press conference and in that full page piece that he published in the local newspaper. Um, in terms of your question, for me, it's, it's relatively straightforward. I have been a Mike Gusecki stan all through the course of the, of the off season. And he's, he's paid off here looking at the, the six week sample that we have in the, the 2021 season, right? Um, yeah, he, coming off at 20 point, uh, twenty point performance last week. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a loss here. But yeah, I mean, look, like we can, we can call it like it is. He had an absolute dud in in week one. He had three targets. He didn't haul in any of them, so obviously he didn't pull up any points. But from that point forward, six targets, twelve targets, six, seven, nine. Right, like to that conversation that we just had about Pat Firemuth. If you can get your your target share up to that point where you're consistently averaging seven, eight looks per week, and specifically coming from Tua Tungavailoa, who is is thus far on his young career, keeping the keeping the the average depth of target relatively short. Um, I mean those are those are receptions that he's gonna gobble up all day long, right? He caught nine of eight targets last week. Uh, he caught 10 of his 12 targets in in week three, right? So um for me Gusecki has firmly established his role in this offense. He gets a very favorable matchup against Atlanta this week. And the other side of this, this call, it has to do with Zach Ertz, right? First and yeah. foremost, this is his first game as a Cardinal, right? Like we flatly don't know how they want to utilize him in this offense. We can maybe glean some stuff based on how they were using Max Williams earlier in the year before he got injured. But basically there are more questions and answers in terms of what Zach Ertz is going to be for this, this Cardinals offense. And their matchup is one against the hapless Texans. I think they're like 17 and a half or 18 point favorites to where they're very likely not going to need to throw the ball very often to walk out of Houston with a win in week seven. Yeah. But what I, here's my quandary though. You've got Zach Ertz, who is very much a, you know, kind of over the middle, like just finds a way to get open. And you've got Kyler Murray that will just check down. And, you know, I, I can't say that, that 
the Arizona offense is just kind of a plug and play where Zach Ertz is just going to, you know, scan the playbook and, and jump right in there and be, and give an immediate impact. The opportunity against a Houston defense is, is one that I just can't ignore. Like I know this is his first game with Arizona, but he's joining the most prolific offense in the NFL right now. Um, and I think that just bodes well for more touches for him and more yards and hopefully more touchdowns. Um, but yeah, it, it, right now it, it's all speculation. We've seen him practice with the first team for what, four days now or three days. So, I mean, it's, we don't really know what to expect. I just, I feel like the opportunity there is, uh, you know, I'd rather have Zach Ertz playing for the Cardinals than the Eagles. Um, but I, I, I just, I think this is like kind of one of those roll your roll the dice and, and play one or the other, because you're, you're going to get points from Gusecki. That's going to happen against Atlanta. Uh, what I can't be sure of is, is what they're going to do to, to Houston because they can literally do whatever they want and walk out of there with, with a, with a win, like you said. Yeah, for for me, it's it's sort of one of those like floor versus ceiling conversations. Like, yeah, uh, flatly, there is far more reason to be optimistic, to be more optimistic about Zach Ertz than there is Mike Kosecki, right? Like, he categorically improved his situation by way of being dealt to Arizona, but yeah. in this first week, I mean, his his range is so wide, right? Um, he can be on the field for 30% of snaps in the first quarter and going into the second quarter, they're up by 21 points and they bring out all the backups, right? Um, he could be the focal point of their first drive and, uh, get, you know, five or six looks, including one in the end zone. Right. So like his range is, is super wide. Um, and that level of unpredictability is generally something I try to avoid when making these lineup decisions. But after after we get this sample in the books, I think we'll know a lot more about how they plan to utilize him, and you'll find yourself starting Ertz more often than Gasecki in the weeks to come. Yeah, and you know, it, worst case scenario uh, in in this particular league, uh, I could just start both of them. So uh, we'll see. And you know, if I can if I can drag in forty points from two tight ends, I'll I'll take it all day. <laughs> Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But that I think that wraps up all the questions we had from listeners and, and all the questions that I had for you for, for all my hot tips this week. Uh, we will be back next week with guests and uh, juicy nugs. But, uh, Eric, what do you, what do you want to do here? Yeah, looking forward to, uh, to, to next week. We're going to welcome in Bob Harris of the Football Diehards uh, spent a little time getting to know him and his co-manager. Um, for everyone that uh, tuned in this week, thank you for uh, for giving us a shot, for hanging out with us. Thanks to everyone who sent us questions uh, uh, via the Twitter machine at Pros with Joes, and that handle, that very handle, is where you can do a little bit of clicking and research into the work that we are doing with the various charities that we support. And if you are so inclined, please do consider supporting and donating to those charities. 
You can do though. You can do so by following the links in our Twitter handle or going directly to our website. It is proswithjoes.com. Um, take a look at all the different ways that you can get involved. And if you are so inclined, again, please consider supporting these fabulous causes that we are playing for in this season. Um, for the housekeeping stuff on the back end of this podcast, um, please do download, rate, subscribe, review to the Pros with Joe's podcast. Uh, it's available anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. And we are, again, thrilled to be part of the DrRoto.com podcast network. So you can search us out by name or you can simply search Dr. Roto and you'll be able to not only get our feed every single week when we push this out, but the awesome work that the rest of the team is producing here at DrRoto.com simply by subscribing to that one channel. Again, the DrRoto.com network. And with that, we will see you all next week.